This is episode number 42 with the inspiring fitness enthusiast, Chase Akers. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. How often do we blame others because of our own situation? How often do we wish we were like someone else? How often do we wish something didn't happen to us or that we wish we were born differently? The answer is a lot. Chase Akers was born with cerebral palsy, and for the longest time, he allowed this disorder to take control over a lot of his thoughts and what he believed he was capable of. But that's no longer the case. Chase has consistently and deliberately found ways to stretch his own potential by getting out of his comfort zone, and that's the only way to start. This week is my first ever two-part episode. In today's Monday episode, you can expect to learn and hear about Chase's story from what the doctors were telling his mom during her pregnancy until his late adolescent years and what it was like growing up with CP, which is short for cerebral palsy. On Wednesday, part two will be released, which will be a lot about his current mindset, how it's developed, and how he's going to use it to his advantage in moving forward towards his current goals. Speaking about goals, I've made it a goal of mine to increase the ratings and reviews for this show. That's an area that I've neglected a little too much in the past, and I want to start dialing in on it. I set a goal for myself to go from 60 reviews back on July 15th to 150 reviews by September 15th, and I want you all to be a part of that. So each week from here on out, I'm going to pick out a review of the week to shout out from a most recent review of the show. So with that being said, this week's first ever review of the week comes from Gray K, and I know who you are, that says, been following Nick on social media for a while now and love all the motivational tips and ways to better yourself. His podcasts are always full of practical information that are easy to implement into your life while trying to become the best you. Definitely recommend. Thanks, Gray. I really appreciate it, bro. Uh, So after this episode, go leave your own rating and review for a chance to be shouted out on next Monday's episode. All right, guys, get ready for a powerful episode to give us all some perspective and inspiration. Also, when you're listening, be sure to take a screenshot of it and post it on your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you and Chase at Chase Acres to let us know you're listening and what your favorite part is. I can't wait for you guys to hear Chase's story, how much he's overcome and how he continues to just attack life. So for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with the one, the only, Chase Akers. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm fired up today, and you guys should be as well for this inspiring interview we got coming up. I got the man, Chase Akers, with hey, me here thanks, today. man. Glad to be here. Yeah, appreciate you coming in. Yeah, It's going to be awesome. We met uh, last week. Uh, to discuss coming onto the show, and we're both fired up about it. Yeah, so I know too. we're going to have some great stuff uh, for you guys today. So Chase has an amazing story. If you guys um, haven't heard about Chase before, uh, he had an article written about him in Nashville Fit Magazine, um, and he's been doing different things like this in the fitness world kind of ever since. So mm-hmm. uh, the way we want to start start is get into your story. So basically, you know, you were born three months early. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of just want to get get into what your mom was going through during the pregnancy and maybe what the doctors were telling her and all that kind of thing. So I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't really know a whole ton of the story in terms of like what she was experiencing during her pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I, I guess I can give like kind of a bird's eye view as to what, um, what my diagnosis is just for those. I mean, um, cerebral palsy is a, it's a common disorder, but it's not something that I feel like is talked about in a lot of media or in a lot of, you know, um, medical journals or anything, anything kind of outside the, the inside community with, with, um, health, um, CP is a neonatal stroke, uh, meaning 
it's a stroke that happens only in the birth canal. Okay. And so it's, um, yeah, essentially what it is, it acts like a stroke that one might have in, in later areas of life, except that it's only uh, brought about in birth. So um, cases can range in severity from hardly noticeable, uh, maybe um, to, you know, limbs might be different, have differential lengths or right. all the way to a complete wheelchair bound. In my case specifically, it's more mild to moderate in that um, the most visible aspect or most noticeable aspect about mine is um, a length differential in limbs and a, um, and a slight limp. So in terms of as the original question was like what the doctors were telling yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just because I know I from learning your story, I know that they were concerned with with the birth. Yeah, they were concerned um she had had two pre, uh two miscarriages previously mm. before before me. So they were kind of saying like, "Hey, look, this this could be complicated. We don't know yet. We don't know yet." And then come up to about 6 months, um my mom was telling doctors like, "Hey, I'm in labor. I'm in labor. Like this baby's coming." And they basically were like, no, no, he's not. Why did she think that she was in labor? Because she was having like regular, obviously regular contractions and and could feel like I had already dropped and like, you know, kind of start. I I don't really know the terminology for the body's natural process Mm -hmm. of beginning labor. Um, But the doctors were like, yeah, your her OB was like, no, you're you're not in labor and that's not happening. And, and she was like, I, I swear I am. Right. Three days later, two or three days later, they were like, Hey, actually you are in labor. Our bad. Sorry. Um, he's probably not going to live. And my mom was just like, yes, he will. She was kind of like, no, he, he'll live. And they, and they said, well, if he lives, He's going to be alive for maybe a couple hours, maybe a whole day, but don't expect him to live through this huh. because he's three months early and it was, I was weighing it about a pound. Yeah. I'm not really sure. I don't really know about early pregnancies. Sure. I mean, I know three months early is obviously super early, but yeah. do most people, if given birth, giving birth three months early, do most children not live? I don't know. I, I haven't read any statistics on that, but mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like with modern technology, it, it's becoming more, more and more, more common to see NICU babies and premature babies make it mm-hmm. in in all aspects, like make it out with no issues um, that are that no issues that have developed like prenatally or postnatally. But mm-hmm. I think. I just think, and this is a speculation. I'm am just kind of spitballing. Right. I think with modern technology, we're seeing the more stories I hear about premature babies uh, in the two to three month early range are making it out just fine. Okay, um, but but again, I don't know that for sure. Yeah. So I'm interested. You know, you said that your mom had already had uh, two miscarriages prior. Yeah. Why do you? And then she said she was like confident that you were going to live. Do you think that she was just kind of being optimistic, or what? Why did she really I mean, truly was, believe that was you sheer would? Faith. Mm. I think she was just like, no, he's going to live. Mm-hmm. Like in absolute faith in God. Like this is happening. He's right. living. And they they said, okay, cool. Like we'll you know we'll we'll proceed. We're gonna we're gonna get him out and. Um, spent about a month in NICU, maybe okay. two months. I can't, I can't remember. I mean, obviously I can't remember what they told me. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, that's, I think it was sheer faith. And okay. she just said to the doctors like, nope, he's going to live. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So after you spend, you know, the month there, right. you, you, you come home. Um, what, like, what are, what are your parents going, like going through? What are they told by the doctors that they need to do to keep you healthy? Well, I, that is that was interesting because they the doctors didn't didn't necessarily know that there would be any complications. Okay, they just sent me home on a heart monitor and like this, like my mom the way my mom and dad describe it. They they were like you know you came home with all these ECG you know EKG stickers all over you and this heart monitor and we had to watch you all the time to make sure that you were still breathing that your heart was still beating for a good ninety days you know yeah. a, quite a long time and and. Um, I don't think that they were really concerned about any complications. They were just like, wow, he's small. You know? yeah. Like, I think there was just an aspect of, you know, all right, it is what it is. Like, let's keep moving. He's, he's here. He's lived. Um, that's, that's something I should, I should ask them. Yeah. Like, what's the, what was the thought process around? I mean, I, I couldn't imagine at 25, like my age now, like having a son or a daughter that's that premature right. and coming home and just being like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to be a parent much less. Like now there's this uphill, seemingly uphill battle right. of, you know, parenting and, and kind of, and starting off that journey. Yeah. Um, and you see, you, I think I heard you say in that, that other podcast that, um, you're the size of like an iPhone. Like, yeah. how, do you know how like what, how much you weighed six, when you came home? Uh, a pound. A pound. One pound. <sighs> and so, like, good lord. What's funny is like I hear people like I'll see an Instagram post or like Facebook post like beautiful baby girl like nine pounds. I'm like awesome. Yeah, I'm like cut that into cool. <laughs> I can I honestly like can't even picture because I've never seen some a child that premature. I, I can't even imagine what that looks like. Yeah, but geez. it is like when you watch. When you see NICU babies, it is it's like it's like a miracle. It's mm-hmm. like you're just watching the most beautiful thing ever because it's just the strength that you you can see that they're fighting with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so a pound. I mean, a pound would be like I mean, take like any like pound of like yeah. chicken, know, like everything, yeah. anything like like an iPhone six would mm-hmm. be like about the size of like my. I mean, my grandfather tells the story. He's like, I could fit. From your head to your feet, your feet ended at my palm. Oh my gosh. And he's like, that was a trip. That's absurd. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. So your parents didn't really necessarily, or the, your parents and the doctors didn't really necessarily know that you were going to have further complications. So but at what point do they realize that there's something else wrong here? Probably, probably around age like one and a half, two, when they were noticing that I had developmental, like developmental disability in okay. terms of like, He's not really crawling super well. He's not like I, – I couldn't really – there were like, you know, kind of primal movements that we have as, as humans like they, you know, like, like crawling, bear crawling, rolling, like things like that that are in, in the human nature of movement. Mm-hmm. They were saying that that's something I was really struggling with and they said, oh, you'd probably grow out of it. Like it's not an issue. Some kids develop later. Like some kids talk later. Some kids walk later. Not a big deal until I started walking. Um, the way I hear the story is once I started walking, they were seeing like a pigeon toad okay. kind of thing and putting 
I, I guess that would be supinating and yeah. then weight forward on like the inside toes. I think, I think it'd be a uh, pronating. If pronating, if pronating if, yeah. yeah, pronating inside and then weight forward. Yeah, and so that was causing a lot of. They were like, "Oh, he's walking on his toes." Like, I don't. We don't know what this could be yet. It could just be like a bad habit. Huh. And then they essentially got around to it. They were like, "Yeah, that's cerebral palsy." Mm-hmm. Like. That's what the the doctors ended up. Doctors in Nashville okay. said that, yeah, because I was I was born originally in Florida, okay. and they again they we didn't really come to find out that there were complications till about two or three, okay. And they were like, yeah, that's cerebral palsy. It would make sense why his hips are so tight, why you can't stretch him, mm. his his feet don't have a lot of play. Like there were, if you took any of those variables and put them all together, what you get is something that looks a whole lot like cerebral palsy. Okay. And so that was the the assumption, okay. you know, the diagnosis. Yeah. And so when they figure that out, are there things like I'm very uh, not knowledgeable about cerebral palsy? Sure, are, there, sure. are there certain things now that like they give you medication-wise, they give you certain things like exercises that your parents need to do with you that yeah, in order that to help? Would be, yeah, that, that's a big thing. So – the conversation around CP and therapy is such a really is a really interesting one, and I've got mm-hmm. I've got multiple friends with CP with a similar diagnosis to mine, and we we all kind of have a similar story. I obviously won't speak for them, but um, when it comes to um, like physical therapy, or I, I guess that's what you're talking yeah, about, yeah, yeah, stretching, um, you're basically fighting. Because what it is, is it's dormancy in neurotransmitters. Hmm. It's the brain can, the brain can tell these limbs, do this, you know, uh, stretch this way or open up this way or angle, turn this way, turn that way. But the limbs aren't getting that message because there's Hmm. atrophy and there's basically, like I said, dormant neurotransmitters that are not getting that message. It's being sent by the brain. But again, this is, this is, uh, damage to the to the motor like the central you know kind of motor command center of the brain yeah and so some cases you see there's uh speech issues some some cases there's cognitive issues um and some cases there's you know uh all four limbs are affected Mm -hmm. in my case like i said it's just it's just two it's my lower body but they you know doctors were saying like you're basically wanting to fight against what the muscles are trying to do. And it's, they want to stay in a state of tension. Okay. And that's where the subtext of my disorder, uh, or my case, which is called uh, spastic diplasia, mm-hmm. meaning that these muscles, uh, stay in a spastic state all the time. Hence the tightness, hence the restriction and mobility, um, leading to, muscular atrophy okay so basically like i i make the i make the comparison of like if you were to hold a fist all day yeah you're eventually it's going to damage those muscles because they're constantly in a state of um contraction Mm. right spasticity and so the resulting what's going to happen to that hand is everything else around it is going to atrophy because it's not having the counter muscles are not having a chance to breathe and a chance to open and do their actions. So that's what's happening with spastic diplasia is you're facing a dormancy that leads to atrophy. Mm-hmm. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. definitely does. Definitely does. So I want to progress a little bit towards kind of 
obviously your parents know, you have CP, the doctors know, but when do you kind of grow into a little bit of consciousness <laughs> oh of God. knowing that yeah. maybe like you're not like everybody else? Yeah. That was, that was the biggest mind warp. Okay. Was the, I, I think, I think from an early age, like I have to commend my parents for being very explicit about they they did not sugarcoat anything right they were very much like you have a disorder okay and we're not going to sugarcoat this and tell you that you're just like everybody else i think i think i came to that agency and that consciousness when i was like three wow four like w- when is like kindergarten like yeah four, four, kindergarten. Three, four yeah. five so like i just kind of knew because like i couldn't run as fast as the other kids and yeah. i would just like trip and fall. And like, keep in mind, we'll get to this in a minute, but like at age five, I had this corrective surgery that was like, right. it was like taking a wrecking ball to a, you know, just demolition a building mm-hmm. starting over. So, but I, I felt like I had the conversations I was having with my parents were such from an early age that it was very apparent. Okay. Like, nope, you're different. Wow. And they, and there was never any malice in that. It was just preparing the child for, for life. You yeah. Know, like here's, here's what life is going to be like. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's important. We're going to be here for, it is like, we're going to be here for you, but we're not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you that you're exactly like every kid on the block. Cause you're not. Yeah. Because I think that the, a lot of times if you don't address something right away and you kind of like push it mm-hmm. off, then it just kind of mounts and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The body keeps the score. And so if we, like, I'm learning this later in life now, like if, if that had festered and if you kept something basically hidden, that child is going to be, become more curious and more curious and more curious. You wouldn't want that child to become 13 going, Hey, what's the deal here? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, even, even 10, even like younger than that, I think that's, what's commendable to families that are willing to have those tough conversations yeah. and say, Here's the deal. So when you said the body keeps the score, what do, what, what do you mean? That is a book um, by Dr. Besser Vanderkolk. Okay. Um, it's a pretty deep psychology read. Yeah. And it talks about the fact that the body holds on to uh, trauma. Okay. And so basically the the overarching arching theme of that book is if – there are not conversations about things that either happened or, or have happened in the past mm-hmm. or are happening right now. And they're festered and put like they're pressed down. The body keeps the score. The body will react to you. You can start seeing chronic illness mm-hmm. or chronic depression or thing, things of that nature. And it's that's basically the theme of the book. Is, okay. And I, it's like I'm thankful that from an early age, I know that that's kind of jumping way, way across eras here, but from an early age, I was able to know, Hey, uh, you are different, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your, your goals are different. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that your life has to be different Yeah, like qualified as, you know, there's not a, a special, you know, there's not, only rooms you can go or there's not only things you can do or only jobs they can get that you can't get Mm. like that was the message and so in that in that regard yeah the body keeps the score even in a young child is when we're willing to have those tough conversations i think i mean i mean children are are intelligent 
Mm-hmm. You know, they can understand things on much deeper levels than I think we give often give them credit for. So having that hard conversation, I, th- I feel like in my mind, like unlocked, you know, unlocked a door yeah. in early life to go, okay, like here's what it is. Like, yeah. let's get it anyway. Like, let's go. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very interested actually to get more into basically that and like kind of <laughs> setting, setting the, you know, the disability or disorder aside and still attacking. But, you know, you met, you mentioned the corrective surgery and we'd yeah. be remiss if we didn't talk about it because I think it's just incredible after uh, knowing a little bit of the story. So tell me a little bit about the, uh, you know, the corrective surgery and what all you went through and what it did to you basically. Yeah. I, and I can, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. I don't have to spend a whole ton of time here, but, um, basically like, like I said, I had been walking heavily pronated weight forward toe first, you know, complete the gait was completely wrong for what should be, you know, what should be appropriate for a child of that age. And so the, the pediatric orthopedics at, at, uh, Vanderbilt were like, Hey, we have this thing where we, we have this procedure where we can go in and it's (laughs) warning graphic content Uh, (laughs) may not be suitable. Um, we can go in and, cut all of these affected muscles, lengthen them, turn the femurs outward, and bolt them back into place. Right. What? <laughs> right. So if we have... I have to like draw out like a map in my head of exactly what you just said. Well, like if you have... If you have picture a bungee cord or like like I'm seeing like a TheraBand on your... On yeah. The, like over there. Like if you pull that thing taut and turn it, you're going to have a hard time turning that back to where it should be without loosening your, your right. On that, okay. Right. Yeah. So like the more tension you put on a TheraBand or the more like tension you put on a bungee cord, it's a lot harder to move that or cut it if there's uh, a lot of tension. So their thinking was, all right, his hamstrings, IT band, glue medius, glue major, all this stuff is super tight. And his, his feet are turned in and, and all kind of not working. Achilles, let's just cut all of it and lengthen them. Let's cut at the middle, pull them, and then take the femurs that are turned inward, that are pronating. Let's turn those out and re-bolt them where they should be. <laughs> is, this like a, is this like a procedure that they do regularly to people who have CP? It is. Okay. That's that's the weird thing. Is I I remember like being five thinking like, yo, this is insane. Like yeah. I remember <laughs> even thinking like from a young age, like, this is some Wolverine type. Yeah. Like I better, you probably thought like maybe this is kinda cool. I better come out with adamantium. Like, yeah. I better come out with claws <laughs> and like a whole new skeleton. Right. Um I, but it is it's a pretty regular thing. I have an I have another friend, uh I have two friends who have this exact procedure done. And they do it at an early age for people? Yeah, okay. It's gotta be done before the growth plates open. Okay. Um or while or while the growth plates are open. Okay. So once those plates are open, they, they basically have a better chance of succeeding at that surgery. And so, like I said, muscles are are like those tendons, muscles are cut, lengthened, femurs are turned out and bolted back in with these kind of L-shaped pins mm-hmm. that have three holes on every side. Yeah. I still have them. I've got them in a, a little 
cup, but they're about. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. No, I still have them. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I can go on and look at them. That's right? crazy. Look at them. They're, they're these L bracket. They look like you would just something you would mount a door on. Yeah. Like they just, they're these little L bracket with sharp things on the end that were bolted into the, the like the major portion of the hip socket. Yeah. So that like those bolts go, like they tell me like going into that surgery, like here's what's going to happen. You are not going to know how to walk. You are not going to know how that your brain is going to reset. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm scared crapless at that point. I'm just like it. And at the same time, I'm scared, but I'm also not like, I'm not, you know, terrified. I just wanted to go through it. Yeah. You're probably like, I feel like at that age, you're like too young to really know the full ramifications oh, to yeah. be like that scared. If you told that to like a 25 year old, like young working yeah. professional, like, like what you're, you're going to be down for two years. Yeah. You're going to be down for two years and you've got to relearn how to walk. Right. And so I was kind of like up for, I was like, okay, cool. Like this will be, and this is what I told to the, the, the last podcast I was on. This will be my reset button. This I like, I like. I'm done after this. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna be like Gucci. Like I'll be fine. <laughs> and and I, I think my parents and, and friends just kind of let me believe that, which is fine. You know, I think that's that was a source of hope. Is that what they were? Th- is that like what doctors? Is that the hope at the end of the surgery? No, oh, it's. I, I think it's. I think the hope is to at least aid in recovery, okay. like aid in kind of moving towards, it's more just quality of life. Like yeah. if, if we can turn your leg muscles outward and let these hips open and we can do that manually, like by a surgery, then let's do it. Okay. But you know, CP is, is incurable. It's a permanent disorder. Mm-hmm. And so even today, 21 years later, there's still, Things that I'm dealing with that are deep-seated habits of childhood. Again, like your body keeps the score. Like it, it remembers. It remembers traumas. It remembers successes, failures, you know. So I come out of that surgery in a half body cat. You know, I'm just like looking at my legs going, oh my, I can't feel anything. And then boom, Charlie horse. I feel every, you know, cramps. Yeah. I'm looking, you know, they're like, don't look at the scar tissue. And I just see this massive disgusting scar and you know there's eight of them Uh there's eight identical scars and i'm like all right this is it like this is the reset button like i'm gonna be down for the count for like two years Mm -hmm. and then i'll come back i went back to school like in a wheelchair you know loving it yeah like so let's kind of go to the, go to that time of your life. Yeah. You know, did you feel like like you? I feel like your parents probably did a pretty good job of, you know, like you're disabled, but don't let that hold you back oh. from from doing anything that you want to do. Did no. you did you feel like that at a young age? Like, did you feel like you held yourself back at all from doing things that you maybe would have done otherwise, uh, or did you feel like just no, expand on that? A little I, bit. I think there I think there was always like a primal like fear of being like found out. Like that's, that's something that I am still working on to this day of Mm -hmm. just like, of being vulnerable and of being like seen in full light of like identified as that person has cerebral palsy. Like, but there was, I mean, my parents, they encouraged, I mean, I was an animal. I mean, they, they were just like. You couldn't get off the skateboard. You were on the Razor scooter, like going down the neighborhood. Like I would, you know, we had these hills growing up in my neighborhood where I would just, 
I would get on my bike and just bomb. Like once yeah. I learned, I mean, this is like after I'm obviously recovered, I'm like walking again and having to relearn everything. But they, they said I just attacked everything, anything I could get my hands. I was still like wrestling with my dad with my upper body, just yeah. like killing him, you know, because I got so overdeveloped even as a kid. They oh, said really? I was like pulling myself up up the stairs they were like oh you had god. lats as a kid oh my god <laughs> i would just figure out ways to be mobile yeah that's that's the funniest thing it's like you know you graduate out of the wheelchair into the walker into you know um braces into you know crutches and all that and it's it just kind of and i think the process of recovery was that answer to your question of like, mm-hmm. did you ever feel like there was nothing you can't do? No, because I was determined like dead gum. I'm going to ride a bike again. Yeah. I am going to play football again with my friends to, you know, play paintball army, whatever it was like, whatever we were doing, like I was going to be normal. Yeah. I feel like, um, normal. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I keep using that in quotes too. Uh, yeah. Because you, I'm, I'm, when I met with you, you, I really like how you say like not disabled, but differently able. Differently able people. Yeah. yeah. Because I think if you have that mindset, because I think if you just have like a disabled mindset, you prevent yourself from doing things. But because you yeah. just have like the differently able thing, you and still dude, attack everything I, you want I to attack. I totally did. Like there was, there was a portion for me like, and I told, I told Jason, Jacob Fazek this over at Barbell Voodoo, like, there, I, that all that all sounds like a nice pipe dream of like I never yeah, limited I mean. myself and it was perfect and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I I became embittered about fitness and mm-hmm. about athleticism because I wasn't yeah. an athlete at that time, and there were portions of me that were like I mean this is like this is a child you know I'm like jealous of you know tall, dark and handsome kind of thing, like the football thing and like being an athlete and like wondering what it, I mean, there's, there's a dark side to it. And that's, that's, I'm looking at these other children going, what is it like to be able to small thing, kick the door closed to, to walk up the stairs, holding something heavy to walk down the stairs without holding a arm rail. Mm Mm-hmm. What is it like to, you know, bound up the hill in four steps, you know, and, and skateboard, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there was always that kind of deeply curious child that turned, you know, you get into adolescent years, like 12 to 17, really. And that became, that became the bitter version was Mm -hmm. the, was the, that's when it hit. It was like you're different yeah, and you're different and your community is showing you that like wow. it's, but again, we have a choice in that. And I, I, at that time I made the wrong choice. I made the choice to be angry mm. and I don't think like, and, and I, and I had parents who were fighting against that who were saying, you know, you don't have to be angry. You don't have to be jealous, but we understand why. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what tore them up was just like, you know, they want to see their son do well and have fun and make friends and stuff. But it, you know, kids are terrible. Yeah. Like middle school, high yeah. school, like kids are terrible. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of where, like, yeah, there's a light side to where I didn't necessarily stop myself from trying anything. Yeah. But the mental aspect, 
was there was definitely some self-limiting bitterness right that well, was angry yeah and I, well, I acknowledge you for you know saying now that you there's still a choice in it and that like you Absolutely. did not necessarily make the right choice but it's obviously that's really it's easier to say now looking back on it um but it's like i mean you you had these things that were holding you back from doing things that mm -hmm. again quote normal people um yeah. are able to do so it's just natural to have those sorts of things and i think we every everybody in everyday lives always thinks w what we're lacking and instead of what we have so like what, what what's one's kind of like the shift and we'll get into the fitness here and it might be the fitness part of it that was the shift for you but when was the switch from like maybe the the like victim mentality if you will that like why am i not like these people why am i being like why are these my circumstances to being like this is how i am i'm gonna make the most of this like because there was there like any one particular moment that was a switch for you it was yeah. just kind of like a gradual yeah, yeah, yeah there were there were multiple moments um before before i get to the kind of pendulum shift yeah. that fitness brought i always had music growing okay. up that was my thing it was like once i got on stage strap the guitar on and start singing like okay. boom the the playing field was level why why did that bring that to you you're creating that okay you're creating when you get on stage when you perform you're you're becoming what you want to become whether that's Rock and roll, R and B, hip hop, what I mean, it, you know, jazz, yeah. whatever. And so it's like I I had this history of you know growing up performing, and I would stand for the most part if you know singing, playing, doing whatever. And there was a couple times I, that I ate it on stage. I've tripped over a cable, oh man, and grabbed that guitar. Making sure you know that's a two thousand dollar guitar. I'm like I'm saving that before anything but there were moments like that like i always had music and and the reason because like he said why is that why does it create that yeah the feeling it it's the transcendent human experience it's like when you are lost in that flow of like i'm creating something that is is so much like beyond me like this music is a gift from god like it's the overtone series everything was invented by a creator like you're making that and it just feels so perfect. Mm -hmm. And that's when I forget about CP. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to, you said it's one of those things that's beyond me because it's a gift, but I, I truly feel that like maybe one of the reasons that you felt that way is because that's when you were able to like forget about the, forget about CP and you yeah. were able to like fully be authentically you. And that's when you felt the most alive because I feel like a lot of people, need to find those different things that make them feel yeah. the most alive and make them feel truly authentically themselves. And I feel like that kind of was yeah. what that was for I you. I mean, the, the, I think the luckiest person in the world is is like do, doing something that the world needs that also fulfills them. Mm. And like that was for me, like even as a, as a young teen, like starting my like musical, like really taking music seriously, it was like, you know, I would, I'd get up and play in bands and sing and, and like, you're not, you're not disabled now. You're not, you know, cause I, I grew up with the mindset. I, I had this thought running in my mind. Oh man, as soon as I turn 18, as soon as I turn 21, I'm going to grow out of this. It's going to be like acne. I can just yeah. like proactive this off right. and be like, 
I will like grow up and be like super tall and like jacked, muscular, and like eighteen comes and it's like that didn't just shoot. Stay, I didn't did, wake up. I did right? not wake up without CP, <laughs> right. which would would be dope at the time. Like, yeah. would the eighteen year old self? I'm getting to the fitness thing. Eighteen year old self was like, that's what I want. That would be super cool if I could just wake up and never deal with this again. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? That's not until I realized I was 22 when I realized all that bitterness that I had against athletes, against people who were like physically fit when I was a kid, it started, it started manifesting and it started like I had to look at that. And say, why are you? I had to ask myself, why are you so angry? Hmm. You're what, just angry all the time about about that. Right, about the about fact the, yeah. that I want to be able to lift weights, I want to be able, and I felt something inside of me that goes, what? What's stopping you? What are you doing besides being bitter about something you think you can't do? It's ridiculous. I was, I was working at Starbucks. I was like, I was working at Starbucks six days a week, going to school two days a week and, and killing my body, mm-hmm. trying to do all this stuff. I was not muscular. I didn't have any sort of sense of gait or spatial sense or strength. And I'm just like, man, I'm just, I'm fed up, man. It's, it's like it, these, these memories from early life were coming up. Yeah. And, and I was just like a- having to ask myself, what is making you so pissed off about people who can be athletes? Hmm. And I, I kind of like, I, I laid down that night thinking, I was like, well, what's the, what's the difference other than muscular atrophy, which is a fancy word for non-use damage from non-use. What's the difference between me and the average Joe at the YMCA. Yeah. Not a dang thing. And so I was working at Starbucks and this girl uh, that I worked with was a dance teacher at Belmont and she was always correcting my my posture at Star. I'd be on the register like, you know, slashed over. Be, or, or just be like my hips would be out and she and her name was Kate. She would come by and like, nope, fix that. Fix that. <laughs> and she was like, you need to take Pilates. You need to take Pilates. I'm like, that's so stupid. That's like for girls. Like I just, again, like another like ill-informed opinion. Of course. Of I knew nothing about fitness other than there's a door here and I'm not allowed to go to that world. Huh. That's not my world. Because this was supposed to melt off of me when I was 18 and when I was 21 and it still hasn't. So... Yeah. And so did that kind of give you, did her push give you the confidence to finally go do something? Yeah. So check it. Okay. I'm, I'm a senior in college. Yeah. Working like crazy. I'm working at Starbucks five in the morning to like 11. Then I go to school in Murfreesboro. I'm just like dead physically. Okay. Like I can't, I, you know, registering for classes and I, I need a physical education credit. I'm like, Oh God, like what am I going to do? You know, I was like Pilates one. I was like, hey, Kate. I like called Kate. I was like, uh, I'm going to take, I can either do like ballet or I can do like outdoor running or Pilates. She's take Pilates. Dude, that was the key. I'm telling you, I went to one day and I came up to, 
uh, I came up to the professor, the, the teacher, her name was Angela Ramos. And I was like, hi, um, I gave this like great little disclaimer of like, Hey, um, I have cerebral palsy and like, she didn't even let me get the shot out. She was like, Oh, great. Awesome. Welcome to class. Here's what we're going to do. This is going to change your life. And it's that same kind of disclaimer that I'd give everyone, you know, like if I was meeting someone and I felt really uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. like, are they staring? Like, do they, do they need to know? Like it was trying to throw this like safety blanket of, you know, let me tell you this. So I, so I can make sure you approve of me. Okay. Which is, you know, weird in its own right. But I'm telling this to, to the professor, Angela. And she's like, you know what? Just have an open mind. Like, just be willing to learn. And, dude, it didn't take two sessions. And I was noticing a difference. Wow. I was doing things. My body was making neurokinetic connections that I had never made before. And I'm sitting there in a class of 60, crying my eyes out. I'm just bawling because... I'm doing things that doctors literally said. I mean, that's what they tell you when you have CP is, you know, you can do some physical therapy, uh, have a good life, you know, go about your way and nothing's going to change. And for the first time, I'm like, I'm in just like a brand new spring semester. It's like January. And I'm like, I'm like thinking it's Pilates. This is so dumb, you know? Yeah. And Boom, everything just blew up in my mind immediately. It was like the first day I get on the mat and it's like success. Yeah. So, boom. When that happened the first time, did that give you confidence to go? Like, What are some other things that you maybe went and did now that you didn't think you would have been able to do in the past? Oh, God. Yeah. Like, I was, Did it just start to like snowball? Well, because snowball effect? you know Pilates like as, right. as an athlete and a trainer, like you know what it does to the body. And it's, it's a complete connection from head to toe. And so I started taking – I think the better answer would be I took qualities that were applied on the mat – and did them in real life. Like I started lifting things differently and I started huh. like moving differently. And like it just – it started making my life function different. And I was in there – I was in there twice a week. And, I, you know, and I'm getting this great class. I'm learning all these movements. I had done yoga before. I had kind of dabbled in weights, you know, but never – Never had I done something so challenging that was making my entire CNS shake and mm-hmm. just go crazy. Like I'm, yeah. I'm laying on that mat, pouring sweat from one little pose, and so yeah, I'm going, I'm going around in life. By this time, you know, I had already been riding a little motorcycle, you know, and I, I had already been like I started kind of learning how to do that better, like how to swing my leg over the bike and do that better, or. Um, you know, started doing things like grapevines and bear crawls, like, like developmental stuff that I had never learned. Pilates was like the door that just kind of opened to relearning infantile movement, mm-hmm. which is a trip. Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. And throughout this process, I guess, is the bitterness and the anger starting to like slowly melting go on melting off? It's melting off, man. There you have it. I hope you really enjoyed this episode and Chase's powerful story and perspective. Remember, that's just going to be part one of Chase and be ready for part two to be released on Wednesday morning. Make sure if this is your first time here that you subscribe to the podcast so that you get notifications each time a new episode comes out. 
If you liked part one here, scroll down to the bottom of the Apple Podcast app and give it a quick five-star rating and review. I'd love to hear your honest feedback about the show and why you listen to it. I hope Chase's message sparks a fire within you. Get ready for some more discussion on mindset and how we can view our lives differently in order to take advantage of our thoughts and not let them take advantage of us. So get ready for Wednesday, but for now it's time. It's time to go out there and take action on what you want to see happen in the world so that you can get closer and closer to your best you.